Well, let's turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Exodus 20, verse 13 says, You shall not murder. Now this weekend, we're studying one of the Ten Commandments that most of us would be tempted to think, well, I struggle with a lot of things, Pastor Robbie. I struggle with a lot of things, Lord. But I know for sure that this commandment does not apply to me. In fact, many people, when I ask them about the relationship with God, this is the thing that most your average person, if you're at Stewart's after the service, getting an ice cream cone, which I highly encourage, if you... If you're, if you're at Stewart's and you ask the person at the register, hey, I'm just wondering, has anybody ever talked to you about God? Uh, how are you in your relationship with God? Many times, if you just talk to your average person, those people will say to you, well, I might not be perfect, but I've never killed anyone. <laughs> right? This is the commandment that we all like to see that way. I don't think any of us could see ourselves on a America's Most Wanted poster. Amen? I mean, can you even imagine? Can you imagine our pastors on the run? Chris, the tool man, Collins. Drew, the card shark, Langren. Jeff, Rocky Balboa, stepping back. Matt, dude's not perfect, Losey. And Rob, something's fishy, Langford. I have ruined some of you for the rest of your life. I can't go to this church anymore. All right, so take it down, Craig, take it down. Take it down, all right? We got to change the image. Now, you can't see us, but you can't see you. Amen? We find it very difficult to see ourselves in that way. But in all seriousness, I want to caution you not to dismiss what we're talking about together today. Don't say to yourself from the beginning, this is not relevant for my life. You know, I say many times, I didn't grow up in this area. And I say many times that, you know, I've lived in many places and several places in my life. This is the first place I've ever lived in. I'm I'm sure it could happen. It does happen. But I'm just giving you a little bit of context. This is the first place I've ever lived where there wasn't a somewhere, at least one place in town that there was a good chance that you could get shot. I don't feel that way anywhere in our area. When I'm walking around, I I don't ever really feel that kind of dangerous. And so we live in an area that is very much not touched by the breaking of this commandment. But did you know that according to the FBI, in 2016, there were 1,250,000 violent crimes in the United States. Of those, 17,250 were murders. And by murder, I mean intentional. I'm not talking about accidental. I'm talking about intentional, what were deemed intentional people making a decision to take someone else's life. That, that's, not, that's, that's rape, that's armed robbery, that's aggravated assault. In, in that year, every 25 seconds, one of those that I just named, one of those crimes was committed. And every 30 to 31 minutes, there was a murder. And again, I'm talking about not accidental death. I'm talking about that, that it was deemed that someone made a decision to take the life of another person. And I don't think it's, the, it's a secret to any of us that Our movies, our video games, our TV is full of the subject, predominant subject of murder. So what's the point? The point is, keep your heart open as we start this study together this weekend. Keep your your mind open. God may have something, at the least, that He wants to say to us as a group, as a society. Amen? Amen. It may not directly relate to me as an offense, but me and my people. We as a group, this is a problem for us. It must be something that God needs to teach us 
Not just to be aware of, but to live out in our lives. And besides that, there may be some aspect of this that you've never thought of before that is related to you. So this weekend, we're going to talk about that. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, the sixth commandment says, you shall not kill. You shall not murder. Now, there's a few words. There's six or seven, as far as I'm aware, words that can be used for to mean to kill in the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament, the book of Exodus was written. But of those words that could have been used by God, the word that's used here carries the idea of murder beyond any of those other words. We might call it the unauthorized taking of a human life. That's what we're talking about. God said you shall not take another human life in a way that is not authorized by God, which is most ways. Now, this does not apply to animals. In the same book of Exodus, God talks about animal sacrifice. In Luke chapter 24, verses 42 and 43, Jesus enjoyed some fish with his disciples. The Bible does tell us in Proverbs 12, verse 10, that we should respect animals. This doesn't mean we should disrespect or misuse or abuse animals or not even, not even treat in a responsible way. But it is saying that human life is different than animal life. The Bible very clearly says that. This is not talking about self-defense. Exodus 22, verse 2, is one example where the Bible says that defending your home from an intruder is appropriate. This is not talking about capital punishment. The Bible talks about capital punishment by the appropriate authorities, by the state, in Genesis 9, verse 6. This is not talking about the work of law enforcement officers. The Bible talks about that in Romans 13, verse 4. There is an appropriate role of law enforcement to keep the peace and to have some authority to do that in our world. This is not talking about the proper, just use of military in war. Again, Romans 13, verse 4. And I'm aware that many of you might might say, no, war, absolutely never. And while it certainly is regrettable, no one should enjoy the topic of war. If someone is getting attacked on the street, you're not just going to stand there and watch, right? There are times the struggle is as human beings, we struggle with knowing when is a just cause, right? And that's a whole other topic. But assuming that there is a just cause of a wrong being done, though it's regrettable, this is not talking about that that military force can never be used. But what we're saying is, except under certain limited authorized circumstances, it is not okay to take a human life. The primary reasons for that. The Bible says that we are made special. That we are different than any other creation. That we were made, in, in some sense, in the image of God. We are unlike anything else that God has ever made. And so God gives us a special place in His creation. The Bible says that only God has the right to decide when that physical life comes to an end. That is not our responsibility. That is God's responsibility. And write this down. We've talked about in this series, there are negative commands sometimes, but they have positive principles that are based on the wonderful and amazing heart of the person of God. So write that down. The positive principle is that every life is special and should be treated with the utmost respect and care. You may have heard of this called the sanctity of human life. The specialness, there is something special that should be protected about human life. And yet from almost the very beginning, friends, we have been hurting one another as human beings. We have even gone to the extreme of seeking to take a human life. As far back, right after sin entered in in Genesis 3, in Genesis 4, the first murder happened. At the beginning of the history of the world, a brother, Cain, 
killed his brother Abel. What a shock that must have been. By the way, what a, what a reminder to us when God tells us, please trust me. Even though it doesn't make sense to you, trust me. Adam and Eve before this had never seen death. So when God said, dying, you shall die, dying to the max, if you don't listen to me, if you, if you listen to temptation, if you listen to the enemy, if you give in to that, dying, he said, you shall, you're going to die to the max. And I imagine Adam and Eve probably thought, what's dying? They had never seen death before. Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine the intensity of pain that they felt when all of a sudden their son was dead because of the hand of their other son and they realized that they would never see him again this side of eternity? That's a reminder, friends, to me. When God says, young people, it's so hard for you many times because you haven't went through some of the things in life, some of the struggles of life. You haven't experienced some of the pain of your own sin. And so when God says, don't do this, you say, I'm not so sure that's really as bad as God says it is. But Adam and Eve reminds us, amen? If God says it's wrong, if God says it's bad, you really, really, really want to trust him. So let's talk about this. God said to us, do not murder one another. What does that mean? First of all, very simply, God was saying to us as human beings, God was laying down an important rule to us. He knew we would not, we would need to hear this. So God, write this down, said, I do not want you to ever cause another human life to come to an end. That's God's will for us. When God commands us, do not kill or do not murder, that is one of the main things that he means by that. It is really the main thing. The Bible says, except with a few extreme circumstances, there should never be the taking of a human life. And yet that is exactly what happens every day in our country. If if the 2016 statistics hold up, From the time this service started to the end, about three people will have lost their life because another human being intentionally acted with force upon their life. The first thing I want to think about is that idea of homicide. Write that down, homicide. We're thinking about, God says don't do that. What what, what is God talking about? One of those is called homicide. Again, this is normally what we think about when we think about this commandment. Somebody goes... And acts in such a way to intentionally take the life of another person. It's almost so common in our world today that we don't even pay attention to it unless it involves somebody that we know, right? I mean, certainly we do then. But it's just part of our lives. And God says that is terribly wrong. Now, fortunately, we've been, whether we know it or not, in our society, praise God, In our society, we've been so impacted by the the teachings and the truth of the Ten Commandments that that most of us realize that's not good. Most of us realize that is not something that we should do. But before we rush on from that, I do want to say to our young people today that we're seeing a trend amongst young people of maybe not realizing that. And I just want to challenge you young people. When you get to those hard spots in your life, when you think the answer is just to hurt someone else. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not down on young people. I love you. I was, a, I was a youth pastor for many years. I don't like it when adults talk badly about young people. What I'm saying is we see in these school shootings that there's something happening amongst this generation that thinks that that is one of the answers. And that's the enemy who is teaching us to hurt one another. The Bible says he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy But God came to give us life. Amen? And then this commandment refers to suicide. We might might call it self-murder. This is a topic that a lot of people have questions about. In fact, it's thought by many to be what they call, what the Bible does talk about, an unpardonable sin. And we we could talk about, I'll just summarize that for you. I believe what the Bible's talking about, the unpardonable sin, is... Hearing that God wants to be your Savior, but rejecting that offer. 
that the only sin that we can ultimately not be forgiven of is not being willing to accept God's offer to forgive us. But there are people who've been taught or who've been led led to believe that suicide is the unpardonable sin. That means you cannot be forgiven for that sin. I want to be very clear in a couple of ways. First of all, I do not find that in God's Word. I do believe that a person who commits suicide can go to heaven. But for fear that someone might take that lightly, I want to say this. God says that murder is a big deal. If a person murders themselves, that might be an indicator that they did not know Christ. Or if they did know the Lord, they're going to have to stand before their Savior and give an account of what they did not finish out with His plan for their lives. That's not a small thing. Amen? So we, we tend to want little bullet points. We tend to want little like quotes. Oh, Pastor Robbie said that it's okay to commit suicide. That is not what I said. Don't misquote me. I'm saying, according to God's word, it does not appear that that, that or any sin will keep you from God if you put your trust in Him. But having said that, that doesn't mean it's not important. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean it doesn't bring a lot of harm. God said, do not murder. And that includes ourselves. I know many people have been affected by suicide. God bless you. Amen. Let's pray for the families in our church and in our community. And by the way, whenever you are tempted, you need to know there are people who love you. There are people who care about you. There's a God who cares about you. And he has servants that he wants to work in your life if you will trust him. And I love, by the way, let's be a church family that just goes around telling people without hope. You don't ever come to a point in your life of thinking nobody cares about me. If you ever come to a point in your life thinking nobody cares about me, I want you to think what Pastor Robbie does. I want, I, want, I want you to tell people that about you. You don't ever come to a point of thinking, I'm at the end and nobody cares. I may as well just leave this planet. I want you to say to people, if you ever feel that way, that's not correct. There's at least one person. And that person is me. Amen? But this commandment also relates to something called abortion. We might say infanticide. Every time I come to the topic of abortion, I feel like a lump is in my throat. Almost like when we hear about the, the Holocaust, I, I feel like I, I struggle with the fact that, okay, there are millions of lives that have been and are being taken. And then I think about the people who've had an abortion or been a part of an abortion maybe encouraged an abortion, maybe provided an abortion. I think about the pain and the struggle and the guilt. And and somehow I feel like, I almost feel like we ought to just stop the service and let's go do something about that. Amen? Anytime I think about abortion, those are the things that come to my mind. Dear God, what are we doing? Why why are the alarms not going off? And why are we helping the people who've struggled with making that decision? Since 1973... By the way, the year my wife was born. So starting in 1973, it would have been legal for Shannon's mom to take Shannon's life. And I wouldn't have a wife. Since 1973, did you know that there have been about 65 million abortions in the United States? Over the last 45 years, that's an average of about one and a half million children a year now in the midst of all the haze see we've allowed our culture to kind of change the the conversation and kind of put put truth kind of on its heels but many times it's from a political kind of motivation but in the midst of all that haze we need to learn truth amen let me give you some truth about life Life begins at conception. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Anyone who's honest with you will tell you that. 
That is not a religious assertion only. That is a scientific fact. Now, it is a religious assertion because it's true. God's word in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, in Psalm 139, verses 15 and 16. It it affirms the fact that that even in our mother's womb, that, that God is working, that God has a plan, that he's created us. Life begins at the moment of conception. The so-called hard cases that we hear about are very minuscule in number. The cases of rape, of incest, of fetal deformity, or of the life of the mother, those account for about 2% of all of those abortions. Only the life of the mother is a valid reason even to consider this option. Now, we should be sensitive to the pain, to the tragedy, to the difficulty of rape, of incest. Good night. Do we know what we're saying when we say those words? Amen? To the challenges, extreme challenges, that families face with deformity and with medical challenges. But the bottom line, we have to say it is this, as an innocent bystander, a baby should not be punished for the mistakes of others, for the choices of others, or for circumstances that it cannot control. Also, the imminent danger to the life of the mother is almost never the case. Usually those situations are certainly when a mother may have higher risks that she's dealing with, and those are serious. And those can be monitored carefully by a doctor. In the case of an absolute imminent risk to the life of the mother, I think of it like this. Honestly, I don't believe that it's fair to call that an abortion. Basically, you've got two people and you've got one life preserver. And and sometimes... A choice has to be made. We've got two people and we've got one life preserver and you're forced which one to save. And many times the baby cannot be saved or dies in the process. Again, it is a difficult situation and I do not believe that it's fair to put upon people that label of an abortion. The fact is, our country is going to give an account to God for caring more about endangered butterflies and owls, which we should be thoughtful of in some measure as good stewards of God's creation, but being more concerned about those forms of life than the 65 million completely innocent people who have lost their lives. Did you know that the original Jane Roe in that case, Roe v. Wade, did you know that she actually gave her baby up for adoption? Did you know that she said later that she was pushed to be part of that case, that she regretted being part of the case, that she became pro-life, she became an avid advocate of pro-life, of the pro-life cause after that, and she sought, she even went to court to have that ruling overturned. Before her death in 2017. I want us to be clear. Abortion is wrong. It is the unauthorized taking of another human life. We should not allow it as a country. Friends, if you have had an abortion. If you've encouraged someone in this room. There's no doubt. And and my heart goes out to you. Because right now when you hear those words. When you hear a message that. They refers to these things. I know, I, I, I can only imagine some of the feelings that must be happening inside. But can I just say there's, there's forgiveness in Christ. That all of us are sinners. That we've all made choices. We've all made mistakes. And the answer is to come to Him. And say, God, dear God, I, I didn't realize it. Or, or I did realize it. And I made a choice and I'm sorry. God, as a, as a follower of yours, I want my life to be changed, cleansed of that choice. And I want to do everything I can. Like Jane Roe, what'd she do? She turned from making that terrible decision to turning around becoming an advocate for those babies after her child. God, I want my life to be different. Amen? God, I want to find healing in you. I want to reach out for help. I want to, I want to turn to your people. If I've committed an abortion, if I've performed an abortion, if I paid for an abortion... If you're not a believer, 
That's one of many sins that, that we, we need forgiveness for. And I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ. Abortion is wrong. The Bible says that very clearly. So the Bible says, and I hope you realize as we kind of walk through that, it's not just as simple as, oh, I've never, I've never pulled a gun on someone and taken another person's life in an alley. That, that tends to be what we think of. The Bible says, do not intentionally take the life of another person. But there's more to this. Write this down. Do not hate someone in your heart. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Because of abortion, there are likely more people in this room than we might think who have taken another human life in an unauthorized way. Honestly, I don't mean to be freaky or weird you out, but we have a lot of people in our church family. There might be a person or two who have actually committed homicide, who have actually taken another human being's life and gotten away with it. And maybe only you and God know that. No matter what situation you find yourself in, if you've physically taken another life, I pray that you'd give that to the Lord and you'd make that right with the proper authorities or whatever that means. But if you haven't broken this commandment in that kind of a physical way, What we're about to talk about next will cover the rest of us. God's Word teaches us in Matthew 5. We might be tempted right now. We might be tempted right now to be here in this service and to think, boy, I'm glad I'm not like those people. I'm glad I've never done that before, right? It's it's a temptation. And listen, it is good. It is good that if you've never, if you've had thoughts and you've never taken that far because... Because taking it that far has a a much bigger impact, right? But the Bible still says that though it's good that you haven't taken it that far physically because it has a much larger impact, much larger visible consequences in this world. But nevertheless, we can still actually commit murder against someone in our hearts. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that the ancients were told... He's quoting the book of Exodus. You've heard that it was said a long time ago, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. And that's kind of toned down from what we've probably said, right? 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 Are we here to feel good or are we here to meet with God and have our lives changed? Amen? Whoever says in so many words, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into a fiery hell. Basically, Jesus says, you all know the Sixth Commandment. That's good. But He says you need to realize we need to realize that it goes deeper than that. Now, it, it, it starts somewhere that, that many times ends up in physically, someone physically carrying out physical or verbal abuse upon someone else. But all of that always starts on the inside. And God says that God doesn't just look on the outside. God's more concerned about what? What's going on in my heart. The outside impact means something. I'm not trying to minimize that by any means. But, but God says, let's get to the core. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, that's sexual immorality, thefts, false witness, slander. It starts in the heart. And again, while it's not good that someone has actually taken that, progressed that out to physical murder, that, that's more impact that we don't need to move towards is still important to think about those of us who haven't gone that far but who have committed murder in our hearts. Jesus said to hate someone, to call them raka, to call them empty-headed, to call them a fool, to call them a moron, that might get you put in jail. But he said, but worse, it could even 
puts you in danger of a fiery hell. Because what we're basically saying to that person is, I can't stand you. I wish you weren't even alive. Get out of my face. I wish you were not around. Friend, listen, what God's word is teaching us is, okay, you've never shot anyone? Congratulations. That's good. We don't want to encourage that. Amen? But don't get too proud. Don't get too high and mighty. God's standard, His expectation of us is higher than just, I've never pulled out a gun and physically killed someone. He says it is not permissible for you and for me. He's interpreting that commandment for us. Okay, I'm not stretching this. Jesus is interpreting the heart behind that sixth commandment is deeper than physical murder. It is not permissible for you or for me to hate someone in our heart. And anyone who does that, he says, is a murderer in our hearts. That's hard to take, isn't it? But it says exactly that in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Praise God, praise God. There's one of those stop and the music plays and we rejoice for a little bit, amen, before we read anymore. We know as children of God that we have passed from death to life. Praise the Lord, amen. Y'all don't sound very, amen. amen. I'm not going to hell. I'm a child of God. All the bad stuff I've ever done that mostly you don't know about, praise God, God has forgiven me for. Wow, what freedom. Amen. We know that we have passed out of death into life. And how do we know that? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And while we all struggle with those feelings from time to time, honestly, right? We all struggle with those things. If we consistently hang on to them, there's a good possibility that we really, truly do not have a relationship with God. That's important, isn't it? I've got to grapple with that, amen? There's something in me that wants to let it stew. When I get upset, there's something in me that wants to hang on to it, that wants to follow it out, that wants to see where that's going, amen? I'm a sinner. And there's something, there's a fire that wants to burn in me that that just feeds. But then I hear God's word, Robbie, if you're my child, you can't do that. You can't live there. And in my heart, even though I kind of want to, I say, I know, Lord. I know. Amen. I want to, but no, Lord, I don't want to do that. I know that's not me. And so if we don't have that recognition of God, I struggle with that some, but that's not where I want to live. That's not who I want to be. I'm moving away from that. I'm not feeding that. If we do feed that, if we do move towards that more and more often, we have to ask ourselves, have I ever truly been changed by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ? So let's think about that. How can we avoid hatred in our hearts? Write this down. First of all, we need to see people like God sees us. Write this down. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. We're not going to read that passage today, but it's a passage about forgiveness. And it basically says that we, in our relationship with God, owe God a debt. If you take it literally, and, and, and really I think the point of that passage is it's an unpayable debt. We owe God an unpayable debt. But if you just take it out according to the words that are used in that passage, it would be 2,100 lifetimes worth of debt. Now, a lot of us have compiled a lot in one lifetime. Amen? I mean, 2,100, you could really rack up a lot of debt. Amen? God says, really, an incalculable debt. It's not even fathomable. You you can't even imagine somebody, you serious? You like took out loans on 2,000 houses at the same bank? Are you serious? And you did that for like a couple of hundred lifetimes? What is wrong with you, right? That just that doesn't make sense. And that's what God wants us to see is really before God, that's where I am. I can't justify myself. I'm a sinner. I need God. Have mercy on me, God. Amen? That's why we call it salvation. Sometimes people wonder, why don't we talk about being saved? Well, that just means you don't quite understand how lost we are. We need to grow in our understanding. Without Christ, I have no hope. Without Christ, I am dying. 
I'm going to an eternity without God. Without Christ, I'm making messes everywhere. I'm messing up my life. I'm messing up other people's lives. And I'm doing 2,000 lifetimes worth in just this little one lifetime. Wow, Robbie, you're a mess. And God comes along and gives the greatest words. Some of you heard me say before, the three best words in English are paid in full. I love it on car payments. I love it on, never seen it on a house yet, but I'm working towards it. I love it on school stuff. Amen. And God says to me, Robbie, pile it all up, up to the ceiling in this room. You owe that, but I will forgive you if you trust me. And so then one of you comes along and you borrow some money from me. And you borrow about three months worth of my income. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't do without three months worth of income. Amen? So it matters. It does matter, but it's not near. It's not even close. It doesn't even compare with what I owe God. And God has forgiven me. See where this is going? So many times in my life, God has spoken to my heart. Robbie, yeah, you were done wrong. Yeah, in a sense, you deserve to be upset. That needs to be addressed. There needs to be some justice. They can't get away with that. I mean, all of that may be true, but Robbie, another phrase God's put in my heart. Nobody else needs to pay. Jesus paid it all. We sing that. It is finished. Didn't we sing that? Nobody else has to pay. So really, I can't. I, I want to hold you. I want to hold your feet to the fire, but I can't. Ultimately, amen? You cannot hate people when you realize how much God has done for you. Number two, try to overlook as much as possible. First Peter 4, verse 8. I think about this all the time. Friends, I'm just giving you life stuff to live by. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep working hard at loving each other. Why? Because it takes work. Amen? Because we're all a bunch of knuckleheads, and that's being nice. We can actually be mean and hurtful. And we keep doing it over and over again. So we're going to have to work hard to love each other. Above all, keep fervent. Keep working on that. If you're going to feed anything, feed that love growth. Because love covers a multitude of sins. If you're going to have any sort of long-term relationship with anybody, you've got to learn 1 Peter 4 eight. Amen? We've got to learn. It doesn't mean things don't matter. We'll get to that. But you've got to learn some things, many things, most things, we're going to have to let go. Number three, be aware of your weak spots with other people. Now, I'm not meaning to get y'all hot and everything, but just, just think for a second. What are some situations that you struggle with the most? What are some people, what are some times when you get kind of the most worked up and upset? Okay, then avoid those situations. Or if you can't avoid them, bring some other people with you for accountability, right? That'll help you remember to have some sense. To not lose your mind in the middle of it. Amen? And if you can't, then at least have some people praying for you and say to them, hey, when I get back from this, I want you to ask me how I did on this. I'm aware. I'm I'm vulnerable in certain situations. Amen? And God, I need you to help me. Number four, deal with anger quickly. Get rid of it as quick as possible. Why did Cain get in trouble? Well, God told him, he said, Cain, look, look, you're right there. You're right there. Sin is right at the door. It's wanting to have a mastery over you. You've got a decision. You can still do right. But he didn't deal with it in a godly way, in a quick manner. So Ephesians 4, verses 26-32. Awesome passage. Basically it says, deal with your anger quickly. Don't let it linger even before bedtime. That passage says, don't give the devil a foothold. Has anybody ever been rock climbing before? Rock climbing, you don't need much of a foothold. You just need a little edge to get your toe on and then you can make that next step. That's the way I think about the enemy. Man, I don't want a chain lock with the enemy because a chain lock, I'm locked, but I'm going to say, who is it? And he sticks his foot in the door and he throws that door open. I want about 8,000 
padlocks. Amen? His name is Jesus. I don't want the enemy to get one toe. I know he does, but it's my intention, my heart with God's help. I don't want him to have one toe in my life, and anger is a toe. There is a rightness about being angry about some things. But most of the time when I'm angry, I'm not thinking I have righteous anger. I'm thinking, when in doubt, Robbie's wrong. Not, this is God's heart. Okay, there is a time to get upset in a godly way. But most of the time, that ain't what I'm doing. Amen? Somebody said a few times of doing this, dealing with it quickly, and you'll stop doing it. You'll stop getting so upset because, man, you have to take your hat in your hand and ask people there for forgiveness before the sun goes down. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. Before the sun goes down today, get it right with that person. You have to do that enough. I've got to make another phone call. I've got to make a mother. I've got to go to that person's house. I feel like such an idiot. I feel so foolish. You get tired of that feeling. I don't want to do that anymore. Amen? I'm tired of apologizing. Number five, when you have problems that can't be overlooked, sometimes that's the case, right? Sometimes you can't let it go. For, there's multiple reasons. Don't attack people, but address their behavior. The Bible's not teaching us to never address wrong, but we need to be careful not to be personal about it. All right, so would you be honest with yourself and with the Lord? God, what is it about you that I'm not like in this way? Amen? Why am I struggling with this? What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the, the thing that's off here? God, help me. Am I holding on to something? Do I have bitterness in my heart? Do I have anger towards someone else that I'm holding on to? I need to make right. The last thing is this. He talks about physical harm to someone else. He talks about hatred in our hearts. But the last thing is don't hurt someone by your influence. Now remember, as we talk about this, important to the idea of do not murder is that I want to value and respect all human life, listen, and not be a part of any human life being cut short. Now think about that principle. Isn't that God's heart? It's not just don't pull out a gun and shoot somebody. It's don't do harm to another person. Don't do severe harm to another person. With that in mind, I want you to think about these things. Some of the ways that we can hurt someone by our influence. First of all, contributing to them going down a wrong path in their life. It could be indirectly. Friends, listen, most of the way I live my life, or I seek to, not perfectly, but, but if I'm walking with God in areas of my life, many times it's because I want to be a good example to others. Amen? I don't want to turn you away from God. Sometimes I want to lay down on the floor and just have a fit. Just tear it up. Just do what I want to do. I don't care. Amen? Nothing. Pastor, are you half crazy? I am. I'm a sinner. I am. I'm not just saying that. But I think about you. If I lay down on the floor and have a fit, maybe me and God will get over it. We'll work it out. But you may not recover from that. Those most wanted pictures might have done that. I hope not. And you may not even know it, right? I'm doing things I don't even know people are watching me. Or it could be directly. Do you know there are adults who actively look for young people in the tender, formative years of their life and actively look to lead them into wrongdoing? And I'm going to tell you what. If that is what somebody in this room is doing... You better get that right with God very quick because God takes that very seriously. But it's not just adults with young people. It's young people with young people. It's adults with adults. Some people are actively looking to lead other people into danger and wrong and things that are going to hurt them. We are contributing to their downfall. When I worked in retail, that contribution thing, that, I'm not trying to be a goody-goody. I'm not trying to make any points. When I, when I was in retail, I made a decision, I cannot sell alcohol. I cannot, I cannot bear the thought that I sold that beer that was the first one the guy drank before he beat his wife. I can't take that. I can't take it that I sold that liquor to that guy 
that, 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 was, that, was, that was the night that, he, that he, his son was in the car with him and he ran off and hit a tree and his son died. I cannot do that. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 15. Very serious. Habakkuk 2 verse 15 says this, Woe to you who make your neighbors drink. Wow. That's a side note. It's another message. But I don't know why in our society, I don't know why amongst Christians, we are so bent on making the case for alcohol. I don't keep snakes in my house. I just, I don't keep snakes in my house. And I want to challenge you. If you, if you are encouraging, if you're assisting someone else in that way, I would challenge you to think about that. I know jobs and I know finances, but I'm just saying, you got to step back and say, do I really want to be a part of that? Secondly, not fulfilling my God-given role in someone's life. By the way, that's why I'm preaching this. Because I want to be faithful. Amen? The Bible takes it very seriously. Ezekiel 34, God says to shepherds who are not shepherding, basically, you're going to account to me, buddy. Pastors, religious leaders who do not teach the Word of God, spiritual leaders who do not lead people in a right way, who do it for their own benefit, who are taking advantage of other people. God takes that very seriously. Parents who just let their kids run wild. Parents who, oh, my parents were too tight with me, so I'm just, I'm just going to give them whatever they want to do. I can understand maybe the sentiment of that. My parents were too tight. But that doesn't mean you have to have no boundaries. Amen? God takes that very seriously. Politicians, law enforcement, anybody in authority who's thinking more about themselves and taking advantage of those they're supposed to care for. God takes that very seriously. The last one is not sharing Christ with other people. Now, I don't mean for this to come on too strong, but church family, the fact is, God is going to judge sin. One day, it seems far off right now, but it could happen today. One day, we are all going to have to stand before God and give an account for our sins. And the Bible says that people don't have to if they'll accept His forgiveness right now. And the Bible says, if we share that hope and someone says no, then that's on them. Now, and I don't say it like a lot of Christians, that's on them. I, I share it. That's your fault now. No, I'm going to share it till the day they die because I love them. I don't want anybody to experience the judgment of God. Amen? So I'm not just trying to get a responsibility off my chest. I'm going to do everything I can, but ultimately I can't make a person give their life to Christ. But the Bible says in Ezekiel 33, verse 6, that if we don't share with them that that judgment is coming, then we're going to bear some responsibility as well. Doesn't mean we're going to hell. Doesn't mean we're going to be separated from God. But we're going to account to God for causing harm by not sharing the good news of Christ. That's serious, amen? I want those who are dying without Christ to know Him. And ultimately, that's between them and God. But to the best of my ability, I want to share with as many as I can, you don't have to be separated from God forever. You can be free. Right now in this room, it is my joy. There are people in this room right now who do not yet know for sure that you've given your life to Christ. Friends, I don't mean to be too heavy, but I don't mean to be too light. I remember the day I gave my life to Christ. I remember for weeks before that, a weight was on me. I couldn't sleep for about two weeks. I was afraid to go to sleep because I was afraid if I went to sleep that I would die and I would stand before God and I wasn't ready for that. And I felt the weight of that. And I needed to feel the weight of that. But then, my pastor shared with me how I could be, be freed from that guilt. How I could be forgiven of my sin and I could have a relationship with God. And I prayed and I gave my life to Christ. And now I don't worry about that. I'm not afraid to go to sleep. I'm not afraid to die. If you're here right now, it is my joy as His servant to share with you. You don't have to die. Jesus said in John 11, even if someone dies physically, they don't really ever truly have to die if you give your life to Jesus Christ. Praise God. I wonder if God is speaking to you about that right now. I want us to bow our heads as we wrap up the service tonight. But listen, let's don't get in a hurry.
Is God speaking to your heart right now? I do not know for sure that my sins have been forgiven and that I am a child of God. I cannot say that 100%, but I want to know. If you would say that right now, would you lift up your hand? Don't be afraid. This is your forever. Nobody else is looking, just me and you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call on you. I'm just going to pray for you. Anybody right now, I do not know 100%. Amen. Anybody else? I do not. Amen. Anybody else? I do not know 100%. Amen. But I want to know. I want to know tonight that God has forgiven me. Amen. Let's pray right now. If you, if you with all your heart, say, Dear God, I want to know you and I want to be forgiven. Would you say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying my price. And right now, I accept your offer. I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross and for rising again. I trust in you. Father, what a joy. What a joy. What a joy it is to us, but most of all to you, that people in this room have given their lives to you. It's only just begun. But Lord, if they truly, sincerely meant that, they've been set free from the fear of death. And thank you for the privilege of being your servant in their lives. God bless them. I pray that that you would give them courage to talk to somebody about that, to call somebody tonight and tell them the decision they made, to come forward at the end and talk with someone on our decision team and find out, where do I go from here? God, thank you so much. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that have given our lives to you. Lord, I pray that we would take serious this commandment. And many times we brush off. But would you help us to not do any harm to anyone else? And if we are, that you would show us that and that we would make it right with you and with them. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.